Okay, this is G.E. Shaw. This is Mix Our Radio tonight. And on today's show, we'll be bringing you Ronnie and Friends. And her special guest, Ron Waitman, a kidney transplant survivor. So, without further ado, here's Ronnie Deshay. Hello. Thank you for the wonderful introduction, Greg. It's so good to be back tonight. Um, you know, the title of this show is Ronnie and Friends, and tonight I get the great pleasure of talking with my oldest friend. Actually, this is kind of interesting to me. That's a double-edged sword. <laughs> I, there are a couple of people that I, you know, in my life that I actually knew before I met Ron, but sadly, <laughs> they're all dead. <laughs> So, Ron is now my, my oldest friend. Um, we've known each other how long, Ron? 30, 35 years, something like that? Uh, Pat and I are celebrating 30 years this year, so we've known each other, I think, 32. Wow, that's a long time. <laughs> we loved, we hated, we got over it and loved again. So. <laughs> Pretty much. And I think sometimes that's what is the mark of a true friendship is that you can go through all of these stages in your relationship and yet you always find your way back to each other. Ron oh, and I have often joked about when we are old and decrepit and we will we will be in the same old folks home and we will sit on the porch in matching rocking chairs and laugh at everybody out on the street. <laughs> <laughs> throw, throw our teeth at them. Exactly. <laughs> Well, the reason that I asked Ron on here tonight is Ron is um, a kidney transplant survivor. Um, he went through quite a battle with kidney disease. And it's just, at this point in time, a friend of mine was recently diagnosed with chronic kidney disease. And so this topic is a little near and dear to my heart right now. So since Ron has gone through all of this, and since he is so much fun to listen to, I thought it would be a wonderful treat to have him on the show. So, yeah, how to make kidney disease funny. <laughs> exactly. If anybody can do it, you can. <laughs> well, I, I do have a twisted sense of humor sometimes. Well, let, let's start simple. How old were you when you first uh, were diagnosed with kidney issues? Well, actually, this was a, uh, you know, I don't really share a lot about how it all started, but, you know, I think it's kind of important now, so I do I do share that. So, before I found out I had kidney disease, um, and actually my problem wasn't due to kidney disease, it was due to acute kidney injury, so AKI, I work in medical now, so. Uh, everything's an, an acronym. So, <laughs> so anyways, um, I, um, my dad was uh, physically abusive towards me. And the last time, I think I was 16 or 17 years old, um, he came at me with a two by four that he had carved a handle into um, and really went at me. Um, Mom and I decided it's probably about time to get signed up for the Army and get me the hell out of the house. So um, when I went to go get um, 
the physical exam for the Army, they had found that I was have a condition called proteinuria, that I was spilling too much protein in my into my urine. Um, and so I had to get that examined by a urologist and then have the results sent back to the Army to be able to go in. So I went to a urologist, and at that point, you know, he goes, oh, well, you're a growing, strapping young man. You probably just ate too much steak the night before, and, you know, you're you're fine, you know. And, okay, so um, off I go in the service. Well, while I was in basic training, I had a really hard time um, with running the mile. And completing it. I would pass out right in the middle of it. And I ended up in the hospital, you know, like two or three times in one week because of it. Because there was a problem with my blood pressure. And what people don't understand is your kidneys are one of the organs that control your blood pressure. Not just your heart, but your kidneys do it as well. And so um, so here we had proteinuria. Now we've got blood pressure issues. And I'm, I'm not even 18 at that point. Wow. Um, yeah. And, um, but nobody's, you know, connecting the dots. So, um, I actually have a scar on my chin from where I fell and hit the pavement one time in the service. I didn't get a purple heart for it, but <laughs> I have my war wound. So anyways, um, I, uh, they were unable to continue my, my service in the service because they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And so I come back um, to being a civilian. And, you know, it wasn't until, what well, was after, you know, you and, and, you know, meeting Pat, you know, that I start my first kidney collapsed completely. And that's, and that's very uh, uh, scary. Men do not usually uh, urinate blood, and we're not used to blood coming from that area. <laughs> and um, what came out was like texturized cranberry juice, and uh, it, it, it obviously it burned. So, and at that age and time of my life, I thought, oh my God, I've got some kind of sexually transmitted disease. Um, so I had a friend of mine, I didn't have a car, I had a friend of mine, um, you remember Jesse and Dwayne? Um, yeah. No. They, yeah. They took me up to the old um, Puget Sound Hospital. And so we went up there and they... They've, there was a lot of disbelief, and I said, "Hey, let me give you a urine sample." So I went and gave him a urine sample. Oh yeah, there's a problem here. <laughs> so they had it tested, and they said, "You need to go see a urologist, and they will, you know, take care of it from that point." So there's a urologist across the um, across the parking lot from the hospital. Oh, and that's convenient. Yeah, they called him. They said he's coming over right now. They told him what was going on, and the urologist says, you know, from what I can see from the lab work and from, you know, the sample, they sent a picture over, um, I can't do anything for you at this point. You're past that. You're going to have to be a nephrologist, which is a kidney doctor. So I got in the following week to see this kidney doctor. Now, granted, I am just 
31 at this point. Wow. Somewhere, somewhere like, yeah, right, right around there. And I go into this kidney doctor, and I want everybody to know this now, <coughs> that whenever you have a healthcare professional, those people work for you. You do not work for them. So if there is a personality clash, or do you not get the answer that you think you should have or need, um, and that, you know what, fire them. Get rid of them. There is another <laughs> provider out there that is your provider. I tend to like providers that don't beat around the bush, but I want them to have a good sense of humor and, you know, a good bedside manner. But uh, you know what, don't feed me a bunch of BS and, and sugarcoat things and, and give me a lollipop. You know, just tell me like it is and let's, let's make a plan. So I ended up with a kind of like a, a doctor like that, but he was a real jerk. He had no bedside manner. And after that first visit, he had told me, well, this is what's happening. You've lost the functioning of one kidney. It collapsed, and you basically urinated it out. I said, yes, I'm aware of that. He goes, your second kidney isn't functioning um, as well, and you will be on dialysis or dead within a year. Wow. Uh, that was a little frightening. I bet. Very frightening, especially at that age. And, you know, here I thought, I thought I was going to have a lifetime to live, and now, you know, he cut it down to a year, or I was going to be on this machine of some sort. He doesn't explain anything to me. I go, well, is there anything I can do to slow down the process? Is, do I need to change my diet? Do I need to start, you know, exercising? You know, should I take pills? What, what do I do? And he goes, Oh, we just got to wait. See you next month. Oh. Wow. So, um, I made some drastic plans in my life. I achieved some goals that I wanted to achieve. And then I met with, um, I decided, um, was I kept seeing that doctor. He put me on some kind of, uh, it was a blood pressure medicine. He dropped my blood pressure so low I would pass out every time I'd sit up in a chair or try to stand up. He goes, oh, I guess that's not going to work for you. And I said, do you think? Yeah, my goodness. Yeah, so, yeah, I had a really rough time with him. I had him for um, a year or two because um, I didn't know anything. I was just a dumb kid thinking that the doctor was, you know, knew everything. The doctors are human. You know, I work with them every day. Trust me, they're human. Um, they practice medicine. They practice it. <laughs> they're still learning. There's still things to discover out there. New techniques, new drugs. You know, so they are practicing medicine. They don't know it all. Um, but I found an internal medicine specialist absolutely amazing woman very very smart and she goes I said listen this is my story this is the doctor I saw here's his name he has all my records right now I'm scared to death and it's now been five years and um, I don't know what to do 
you know, he had put me on disability right away. Wow. And um, yet I still had one functioning kidney. Um, so she says, okay, let's do some tests and then I'll meet with you next week. So we, I go and do the lab work, come back and meet with her and she goes, okay, listen, here's the story. You are only at stage three with your kidney, your, your second kidney. And this is where I learned how wonderful the kidney is because you can survive perfectly well. You would never know there was any problems off of one quarter of one kidney. Wow. Your kidney is that great with a filtration unit. So I feel everybody's walking around with a spare. So if anybody's listening or anybody that's going to listen to this, if you've ever thought of being a donor, do it. And you, can, you don't have to wait till you die. You can do it now. And, as an, and that's called being an altruistic donor. And if you're an altruistic donor, if anything later in life happens to you and your other kidney, you are put on the top of the donors or on the top of the transplant list. You are number one on the transplant list until they get a transplant for you because you were a, a donor like that. So you don't have to do that, you know, just, you can be a donor. You can't take it with you. Please donate. Okay, so that, was my, <laughs> that was my speech for that. Um, and I, one other thing, there are countries in this world, U.S. is not one of them, but there are, I think, 12 countries in this world that if you are a national person from that country, you're born and raised in that country, you're automatically a donor anyway. Um, if you don't want to be a donor for religious reasons or personal reasons, whatever, you have to go to your government and you have to fill out paperwork and, and get a triplicate and signed and then you then you're not a donor anymore. But you're you know you're you're not going to take it with you, so they're going to take it from you. <laughs> so I just I thought that was interesting when I thought about that. Your fresh meat, you know, all the fresh stuff is there. <laughs> you know, it's all the processed stuff we have to watch out for. Right. So that was a big part, you know, and I had, you know, I, you know, prior to dialysis, um, I had worked in the food industry all my life, and as you remember, I, you know, I cooked. And yeah. um, I kind of had a heads up, you know, I was able to read labels and go, oh, okay, so, um, and the kidney center is great about training. I mean, I went to Northwest Kidney Centers. I think we have the website up somewhere. Um, and they have all the training that you could possibly want or need on their website. Um, you can meet with the dietitians anytime. They have social work workers that are amazing. Um, and and there's, other, there's other systems around, but, uh, I am plugging Northwest Kidney because they are nonprofit, and in my mind, I believe they're the only nonprofit kidney center here in King County. And uh -huh. I will, yeah. So you know, I've done a lot of fundraising for them over the years. Uh, not a lot, but I've done fundraising. <laughs> I could be more, 
Um, so maybe after I got an extra bag, I just Northwest kidney. Um, and I always do it for patient care. Um, and that goes to um, make sure that, like, they have comfortable chairs to sit in. Because if you're sitting in a chair for, I, I ran five hours at a time, um, which is kind of a long time. But, you know, my doctor wanted to make sure I was getting the clearances that I need. You know, right. I, I was six foot two. I've shrunk since then. I'm old. Uh, <laughs> Ronnie's older, though. Um, True. <laughs> I always had to point that out. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, that's why I'm so respectful. I, was, I learned to be respectful to my elders. Um, <laughs> I know you're going to slap me next time you see me. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's just um, anybody out there that is going through this process, there's a lot of misinformation on the Internet, or there's a lot of misleading information on the Internet. Cause if you really don't know what you're looking at or looking for, it's easy to get twisted around on that stuff. So until you know for sure about what's happening with you personally, with your blood work, with your urinalysis. Um, you can't really go by what's on the internet. Um, now I know with Northwest Kidney and I'm sure with other organizations, they have um, classes available for those that have chronic kidney disease. Chronic kidney disease is in five stages um, where you're looking, when you get into stage four, is when they're talking, okay, we need to start getting you ready for dialysis. Um, stage five is end-stage renal disease, and that's exactly what that means, end-stage, just at the end of the ride. Mm. So you have a choice at that point. You can either choose to go on dialysis, or you can choose not to. Um, if you choose not to, um, then, you know, it's just, it's a matter of comfort care at home and it's just a matter of time. People that I knew that were on dialysis that decided they couldn't handle it and they didn't want to do it anymore lasted about two weeks. Wow. And they blow up with fluids. Um, they're, uh, I'm not going to get too graphic on this. Um, it's not it's not pretty and it's not comfortable. It's very painful. So um, you know, but that is your choice. You know, um, dialysis. There's two forms of dialysis available at this time. One is called peritoneal dialysis, and I started with that. Um, there are some requirements that you have to meet before you can do peritoneal dialysis and there, it, there's kind of a weight weight thing I wouldn't qualify now because I've expanded um, but back then I, I was a lot leaner and I could do peritoneal um, I would tell you if you are good about taking care of yourself if you're good about keeping orderly records if you have um, a spare bedroom in your home for supplies, um, at least a large, large closet, um, 
then, you know, peritoneal dialysis might be the way to go because as far as dialysis is concerned, it is continual. Meaning that <laughs> you are going to have, you're going to have fluid that you're going to um, put into you and it's going to, um, through osmosis, it's going to pull all those toxins and stuff out of your system. And then you are going to remove that fluid and then put new fluid in right afterwards. So it's a, hmm. continual, it's a continual cycle. So, um, and at night, I had a machine I would connect up to. And while I was asleep, it cycled through three times. And then during the day, I would do one or, or two manual exchanges. And this is stuff that they can explain to you um, in the classes, and, or you can probably go on YouTube and see it, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, you have an access into your, directly into your abdomen. So it's really important with peritoneal dialysis that you are clean, um, that you wash your hands really well, that you sanitize your hands, you put on gloves, you put on a face mask, and, um, you know, there's a whole procedure. You are your own nurse. And I cannot stress that enough. Um, I did very well with it. However, I was very, uh, I was doing manual exchanges in my car, and I was still smoking at the time. Wow. Oh, yeah. Stupid. Stupid. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. So I ended up um, with peritonitis. Surprisingly, I, I should have caught it a lot sooner than, than I did. And peritonitis is when um, you have an inflammation of your peritoneal lining inside and it becomes infected. And the, the tube that I had connected to me had this, usually it's supposed to be a clear or lightly yellow fluid that you would see in there. Well, when I got my machine stopped in the middle of the night, it started alarming and woke me up. And I had this stuff inside my tube that what looked like the color of Pepto-Bismol, but it was like pudding. Oh, okay. Like this pink pudding. It was gross. And well, what the hell is that? So um, I tried to flush flush that out and then try to, you know, so I put some solution in, some of the dialysis solution and, you know, force it through there and I was just trying to flush it out thinking maybe it was just some, like bubble gum or something, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> um, but it wasn't, wasn't doing it and so, and, and that, uh, there's a number to call, I called the number, told them what was going on, they said you probably have peritonitis you need to get to the hospital right away and take, and unfortunately at the, during that time, that was about 2005, I think it was, 2004, um, my hospital near me was not equipped to handle a peritoneal dialysis patient. So I had to take my machine, I had to take my, uh, you know, a couple of cases of solution. I had to take a couple of cases of ambulatory solution. I had, you know, and the supplies, I figured, the other supplies, I figured they had there. Oh, and I had to take my tubing from my machine. And so I go into the ER. I tell the, I tell the doctor, I've got peritonitis. 
and he looked at me and he goes, did you get your medical degree out of a Cracker Jack box? I said, no. I got my information from Northwest Kidney Centers. They trained me on how to take care of myself. I called them, told them what was going on. They told me what I probably had. I'm sharing that information with you now, jackass. Can we get this going? And he just looked at me like, who the hell are you? Now, I've gotten, you know, I've, I've gotten to the point that, you know, when it comes to, to respect, you give respect, you get respect. Right. You know, and I'm trying to tell him this is what's going on. I'm a peritonitis, you know, I have peritonitis. I'm, I'm a, I'm a kidney person and, you know, they train us for that stuff. So we're prepared. And yeah. So he comes, he sheepishly comes back an hour later after they run tests. He wanted to get a sample of the fluid and I said, sure. So he, uh, I, he closes off the area and he's like standing over me. I said, could you please put a mask on? And he looks at me. I said, I'm getting ready to open up the port. I don't want you breathing into it. Oh yeah, you're right. You know, <laughs> so, got a sample into a little Dixie cup. You know, I had to kind of squeeze it out. And then, uh, hour later comes back. Yeah, you got peritonitis, you know, and he goes, we're going to have to check in. I said, okay, I've got my machine. I got all my solutions. I, I got everything I need. If I need anything, I'll let one of your staff know. And he goes, where did you learn all this stuff? I said, Northwest Kidney Center. You should, you should donate to them. They're really good, you know? So that was my first time after, you know, after all this stuff started, I ended up in the hospital. Um, yeah, I ended up in the hospital a lot, a lot more times afterwards, but I ended up at that time switching over to hemodialysis, which is, you know, the one people recognize. You know, you go in, spend their ear in there for three days, you know, you know, <laughs> and there's that movie with Dolly Parton and all them, the, um, Steel Magnolias, you know, yes. yeah, you see her arm, it's all bruised and stuff. It was a little dramatic, but you know, that, that kind of close to the truth. But before we, um, before we go on to the next thing, we need to take a quick break. Uh, all right. We can do a couple bills. So I will turn this back over to Greg and let him do what he's going to do. And thank you. This is G.E. Shaw, Radio tonight. And we'll be back with Ronnie and Friends in just a few moments. Be back after John Farley. Are you an independent musician? How would you like to have your songs played on hundreds of radio stations just like the one you're listening to right now? Join MusicSubmit.com and we'll promote your music to radio stations and blogs in your genre. It's free to set up your account, and we guarantee your music will be considered for airplay by radio stations worldwide. Why not sign up today? It's free. MusicSubmit.com. Radio <laughs> Am I talking too much? Do you have questions you want to ask? <laughs> Well, when we come back, Hello, I, I want to touch again. a little bit on... If you've been um, thinking about I can, I mean, learning how to get into a new career, dealing with podcasting, online radio, streaming radio, Actually, I all the different names out there, you, what? Well, you ought to check out 
my friends at Anchor. That's www.anchor.fm. They will they give you the best of everything for podcasting, especially people who are just starting out. Unlimited free hosting, which means you don't pay for it. One-click distribution. And this one-click distribution gets you to all the major players out there. Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, every platform out there. Anchor does all the work. Monetization for podcasts, something new that Anchor has just bought on. If you want your listeners out there listening to you, and they love listening to you, have them make a donation. That's Anchor. And you can record from everywhere. Anchor. www.anchor.fm Check it out. You won't forget it. This is G.E. Shaw. Mix our radio. See you later. This is G.E. Shaw. Mix our radio. And we're taking it back to Miss Ronnie DeShay and Friends. There you go. Thank you. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you're all enjoying this chat with Ron Waitman as much as I am. Um, I'll tell you, there's so much about kidney issues and kidney disease that I don't think a lot of people know. I certainly didn't know. I um, <laughs> Ron was talking earlier about people getting on Google. I have to admit I was one of those people because I was with a friend last weekend and found out that he had been diagnosed with chronic kidney disease and I didn't know what that meant and he's one of these people that just kind of says there's something wrong with me I'll just wait until my doctor says what to do never occurs to him to get online and do any type of research never occurs to him to get a second opinion you know so I don't know but um I was on Google and we were looking this stuff up and I noticed that because the numbers that he has, and I don't remember what these numbers are, but it was at 59 and apparently that is classified as stage three kidney disease. And it said in there in stage three, even in stage three, that there are not a lot of symptoms. So. Ron, can you tell us a little bit about symptoms and what to look for, warning signs maybe? Uh, sure. Um, so um, kidney disease is kind of is, is sneaky. <laughs> um, a couple of things that you should be aware of is if you have hypertension or if you have um, diabetes, those are the two leading causes for kidney disease. Um, so it would be prudent on your part as a patient that um, you make sure you ask about the ask your doctor, ask your ask your uh, you know your diabetes doctor or, or care practitioner and um, your heart doctor about testing. And early testing is going to help you. The sooner you know that you're developing issues. Well, I mean, honestly, the sooner you know that you have hypertension or diabetes, cut the salt out of your diet. Um, okay, now, period. I am a diabetic, but I don't, uh, to be honest, I'm one of these stupid people, you know, do to do um, <laughs> never occurs to me to look up something like hypertension. I mean, I've heard the word, 
but it, it's you know I've never been told anything about it, and I'm too much of a dumbass to get on there and look. Maybe I just don't want to know because I'm afraid I do have it. I don't know. There's so much else wrong with me. But what is hypertension? So hypertension means that you are running at a higher, uh, like a higher pulse rate or a higher blood rate than normal. So you know, you always hear that you should between you should be at like 80 over 120 or 120 over 80. Um, and I think those numbers have changed a little bit, um, but that's always been kind of the 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 markings of being within a normal range. When your number starts creeping up over that 120, you're at 130, 140, 160. And you're constantly at that level, It's um, it works your heart a lot harder. And your heart and your kidneys work in tandem with each other because they, what are they supposed to do? Control your blood pressure. So you're, you're working them harder. Is hypertension then a fancy way of saying high blood pressure? Yep. Oh, okay. I do have that. <laughs> okay. I think you and I could check off our, our, our list together because we have a lot of similar things. Um, <laughs> but, but as far as um, symptoms for um, for being, for chronic kidney disease, I think the one thing for me that I noticed was um, flu-like symptoms. And I'm not talking, for me, I, it was like the the feel, the exhaustion, the achiness of the bone, not necessarily having a fever or nausea. Uh, another thing I noticed, and this doesn't happen with everybody, is the smell of certain kind of foods made me want to hurl. Huh. And I, friends of mine were saying, God, you sound like you're pregnant, <laughs> you know, because like the smell of hamburger cooking really, oh, it just nauseated me and, um, or made me nauseous, I think is the proper word. Uh, oh, yeah. And then your taste buds will change also. Uh, so certain things like meat have a metallic taste to me. Um, so there was a, there was a lot of meat I, I could not eat by, you know, like to sit there and eat a steak, I couldn't do it. Oh. Good, no, no, I just, uh, and then, um, you know, and that's why it's interesting that your body responds that way because when you are on a kidney diet, you're on a low protein diet, um, cause your kidneys help filter the extra protein out of your body. And, um, you know, when that's not working correctly, then you've got all this excess stuff floating around in your system that shouldn't be there. So it's funny how your your body responds because your body's responding appropriately. Uh, we're gonna make this taste horrible to you because we don't want it anymore. Hmm. But yeah, flu-like symptoms. And like I said, there was just the smells and taste changed for me um did, uh what else that was probably it for me but you know when you are not thinking about kidney disease obviously being 30 years old at the point you know i'm not thinking about or 
even back then there was no Google, you know, so, um, yeah, so, you, you just don't think about, oh, I, you know, I, I got a touch of a cold, or, you know, yeah, I don't have a fever, I'm fine, I just feel like crap, you know, I just didn't sleep well, or, um, and that's another thing with dialysis patients, um, sleeping issues, there's um, d- depression, it's almost like an automatic um, thing. Um, I always tell people to build up a support group around you and, you know, not to blow, not to blow air up your skirt, but, you know, Ronnie, you were there every step of the way with me. Um, you were always a phone call away. You and John both. Um, and, um, you know, John came up and visited me and actually went to the kidney center with me once. Um, but you always called and checked in on me, you know, and that's when you are facing these kind of moments in your life, that's when you know who your true friends are. You are very right about that. I mean, there's been so many times when things have been even, you know, even just touching on friendship for a second, even times when you and I were barely speaking, I always knew I could call you if I had a medical question or something along those lines. There were many times when I would call you and say, this is what's going on. And you were always there. I mean, it, it's just, you know, it's, it's what we do for people we care about. Absolutely. You know, I don't, um, you know, we live in a disposable world now, you know, everything's instant, automatic, you know, you're done with it. You throw it away. You you go for the new package. Um, you know, I don't like having disposable friends, but I don't realize, you know, I don't realize they're disposable until they dump me. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, I'm the disposable one. That's not supposed to work that way. <laughs> but, that, you know, but one thing I can honestly say is that um, you are not one of those people in my life, and I appreciate that, so thank you. when they go to put in a, a 
a borrowed kidney um, or um, or whatever they're going to try to transplant into you. It doesn't have fake kidney. It's hard for those vessels to graft together if they're thin because of due, due to smoking. And so I didn't want a free-floating kidney because that wouldn't work. So... So that's one of the things, you, you quit smoking, no tobacco products, so that means chewing, smoking, um, you know, not whatsoever uh, for one year. And they do a monthly blood test on you in the center to make sure that you are doing what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and there's just, a, like I said, a laundry list of things to do. If you're over the age of 50, they will, you know, want to do a, uh, prostate exam on, on the men. Um, you know, they're checking for cancer markers because the anti-rejection meds, they have a laundry list of side effects and, um, and they generally don't tell you about those things. Uh, you get to discover those things all by yourself, just like this Christmas opening up a new <laughs> So, um, if you ever have questions about that stuff, please ask about them. Um, Doctors, in general, you know, they are there for the doctors I've known and worked for, not only for my own care, but also professionally, they are caring people. They got into healthcare for a reason. They all have a story about why. I would say out of all the doctors I've met, there's only one I can think of that was there for a paycheck. The rest was there because they were inspired due to family tragedy or they were inspired because of, you know, one doctor was inspired because of a transplant that happened in his own family. Mm. And, and he's a surgeon now. He is a transplant surgeon. Um, one thing I do, and maybe this might help, is um, I interview my providers when I first go see them. I ask them. Um, you know, where they go to school, you know, why medicine, why their specialty. And I really look at their facial expression. And what I'm trying to catch is that expression of awe and wonderment, like, you know, that aha moment of why they decided to become a doctor. What is it that inspires them? If they're inspired by a paycheck, they can do that collecting garbage as far as I'm concerned. Um, but if they're inspired because, you know, they saw their grandmother die from COPD and they wanted to get into medicine so they can help other patients and make it easier for them or maybe even become a, a technician and a, and a researcher and learn how to cure the disease, you know, they, you will see that in their facial expression and the way they talk. And it's funny with some of these clinicians, they come in with their, I call them captain clipboard. They have the clipboard and they're looking at the clipboard. They're not paying attention to me. They're trying to get all the facts and figures, blah, 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 blah. And then I stop them and say, what is it that inspired you to get into medicine? And they, it's a dead stop in their thinking because they're thinking on the right side of the brain. <laughs> and all of a sudden now they're, now they're thinking with the other side of the brain. When I see that, that's the doctor I want. That's the person I want taking care of me. I want them, they don't have to be the smartest person. That, I, I've had some smart doctors, but they're, I, I couldn't deal with them. 
<laughs> you know, it just wasn't going to happen. And I've had some doctors that were very, very caring, but were um, a little lackadaisical on, on the clinic, on the, on the clinical side. And I had to, I had to let them go too. You know, these people work for me. I, you know, I pay for my insurance, and so I'm paying them. You know, so I need to get value for my money. And that is important to remember because I know um, when my father was diagnosed with cancer, he and mom went to a lot of doctors. And there were a couple of doctors that they had that really didn't explain things or talk about, um, you know, things in a way that mom and dad could follow. And they would come home completely overwhelmed and... But their, their whole attitude was, well, this is the doctor, and this is what he says, and, you know, we have to do what he says, we have to understand. It was, they, I have an aunt who's a, a, an RN, and they would call her and have her explain things to them because the doctor wouldn't. And it never occurred to them that they could find another doctor. That just wasn't an option for them. Well, you know, it's interesting when it comes to the population, <laughs> and they're looking at certain generations. There's certain attributes that go with those generations. When you and I are looking like at our parents, they're from a generation that they're just going to do what the doctor says. The doctor knows that. That's that's what they do. And they don't question anything. I'm from a generation where I want to fight the system. And, you know, I'm going to ask why about everything. And, you know, I just... You know, I'm not happy until I have an answer that I'm satisfied with, you know, or I can't go any further, you know, and then I've got to change direction. So, um, yeah, I I know I'm a pain in the ass to my providers, but, you know, some of my providers that know exactly where I'm coming from and they know why I'm doing it. So, and they wish they had, I've been told that, not by many, but by a few that they wish they had more patients like me. But that's because I do my, I have due diligence. And there's a lot of great tools available to patients now um, online. Um, you know, check with your doctor's office or with the, you know, if you belong to a medical group. Um, you know, if you can have access to your medical records online with that group, that's fantastic because you have all that information right there, and I can double-check and say, well, wait a minute, as a matter of fact, I had a conversation with the doctor today, and um, and it did not go well for him, and he was not very happy with me at the end of the conversation, <laughs> but he didn't have to apologize to me and, and tell me that he would have everything at our next appointment because he, he was not doing his due diligence. And it's going to end up costing me another night um, of testing, which I was not prepared to do, I'm not happy about. And, you know, it's going to ding my insurance again because he did not order the right test. Oh. And he goes, well, I just don't understand why they don't accept the test results from this test when it's going to be the same results with the other test. I, I said, if you knew that already, why did you do that in the first place? Right. And I said, you need to be spanked. <laughs> and he just goes, excuse me? And I said, yes. Because he's a younger doctor, so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just said, listen, you know, 
you are costing more. You're dinging my insurance again. It's another eight-hour test that I've got to go through. And I can't get the equipment I need to care for myself um, until this is done. And my, my heart doctor wanted you to do this in the first place because it caused an issue. He goes, well, I didn't know that. And I said, did you read my medical record? I said, let's talk about the other outpatient visit I had to do for you and the test I did. Did you read the results? Well, yeah. And I said, and what, what is your summary of that? I'd like to hear what you have to say about it. Well, um, well, just a minute, let me pull it up. You know, so I knew, you know, and I said, let me, let me sum it up for you. I scored 30% higher after I took the medication versus prior to it. So are you going to write me a prescription? And he goes, oh yeah, well, I can prescribe this and this. And you know, this, you know, you take this once a day and you take, do this other one as needed up to six times a day. I said, okay, now are there going to be any ab reactions with what you're giving me to any medicines or any conditions I currently have? Now, Ronnie, I should not have to be doing this deep of a question with the provider. You should not. I happen to work behind the curtains with the Wizard of Oz, so I know too, I know too much. And what I think about in the back of my, because every time I have to do this, I get pissed off because I'm thinking of if my grandparents were still alive or if my mom was still alive, they never would ask these questions. They would just go through it. And I'm just going, my mom had glaucoma. I knew the medication that he was prescribing me is not a pet medication I should be taking because I happen to have glaucoma as well. And so he said, well, I can prescribe this and this, and I have to say, any ab reactions with that? Would you ask that of your doctor, Ronnie? I would. Oh, you would. Okay, well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. But I don't think most people would, or I don't even think they would even. I have glaucoma too, so anything that's going to, that could conceivably affect my eyes, I want to know about. Oh yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I just—you've got to be your own advocate when it comes to being a patient. You know, there are patient advocates out there, and they're really good ones. There's really good social workers out there. But, you know, you cannot, nobody can care for you better than you can care for yourself until such a time as you no longer are capable of doing it. So as long as there's friends in my life, I've been a bitch. I am going to stand up on my soapbox and I'm going to wave my little flag and say, whoa, stop right there. Let's start from the beginning and let's, let's look at this closely. Because, you know, it's not that I don't trust the providers. It's just that they have a lot on their plate. They have a lot of patients that they're caring for. And sometimes it can be a little routine. And, uh, you know, you have to remind them that you are a human being and that you are a person too. Right. And, um, you know what? Shake them up a little bit. You know? Who who was it? George? Was it George Carlin? I forget who the comedian was. This comedian, uh, Ronnie, you'll probably remember, we've talked about this before, about learning how to throw your voice. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I forget the comedian, but I always thought it'd be funny uh, if this comedian had said it'd be funny to be able to throw my voice, and it was a female comedian, probably wasn't George Carlin, but um, going to see her female doctor and then talking to her doctor by throwing her voice down there right. during the session. And I, I think that's the nicest way I could put it. And I just, you know, some. Sometimes you gotta get your doc, you gotta stop your doc, you gotta stop them. You know, they've got it set in their mind how the, how, what they need to do and how the session's gonna go with you. But sometimes if you've got questions, you have to stop them and say, stop, just a minute. Have some questions. Exactly. You know, what's going on with my medications? What's going on with my labs? You know, I read this latest article on this. I mean, I read a great article on stem cell research and how they're growing, um, kidneys outside of the human body now with stem cells. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating to me. It's all very science fiction-y still in my mind. But, you know, 20 years ago, this would have been pure fantasy. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, now it's science fiction, which means it could happen. And they're actually doing it. So, you know, they would harvest stem cells from from you because it's going to be your kidney. And they can grow a kidney, and then they can transplant it. You know, theoretically, they can transplant that in you. You don't need anti-rejection meds because it's your kidney. Exactly. You know, I think it's amazing. Stem cell thing, that's a whole other conversation, but I am very pro-stem cell. And uh, you know, I, I, have to, I have to agree with you also. Um, you know, there's... Boy, we could really open up a can of worms, couldn't we? Exactly. That, <laughs> I, I, I tried to sidestep it a little bit, but I will tell you, um, the future of medicine really is in stem cell research. Um, and it can, um, I think the money spent now in research would save money in the future because um, if we could grow kidneys now and transplant, transplantation, a transplant surgery is, let's say transplant surgery is a hundred thousand dollars. I'm guessing, I don't know. I could probably look it up, but I, I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> but dialysis, you're doing that three days a week, possibly four. Um, you might have an emergency dialysis session. I always had that available to me, an extra one every now and then. Um, plus the patient care, the patient follow-up, the medications, the, you know, the staffing of the centers, you know, it is expensive. It is so expensive. I, how Northwest Kidney does it as a nonprofit organization, I'll never understand, except they have some angel donors out there. Um, and they've got incredible employees and incredible leadership um, that makes it happen. And they save these people's lives daily. So um, God bless them. But, you know, with stem cell research, um, it could possibly put them out of business in the future. Hmm. Could you imagine finding out that you have uh, chronic kidney disease, stage three, like your friend, John, and say, okay, this is what you need to do. We're going to follow up with you every three months with blood work in your mouth. And, you know, this is what we're going to do until you get to stage four. When we get to stage four, we're going to go ahead and harvest the stem cells, and we're going to start growing your kidney. And then um, 
by the time that kidney's ready, we can go ahead and go forward with the transplant surgery. You may not ever have to go to end-stage renal disease. That is just amazing. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be a, a wonderful thing? You know, currently, um, I've got the 2018 report from Northwest Kidneys up. Currently, uh, so dialysis was um, discovered and created here in Seattle back in the 1960s. Um, and we've always been the leaders in, in dialysis and research um, for the world because really? of that. Yes. Right now, uh, Northwest Kidney um, ranks number eight in the U.S. For, um, by size. Um, they have 16 clinics as of June 30th of last year. Like I said, they opened up uh, two clinics in February. They're opening, they either opened one up in five or they're opening up in five. I know that they have plans for expanding, expanding the Kent Center. Um, so there's a lot of people. And I think part of this is um, part of the phenomenon we're seeing with all these patients is, you know, baby boomers, you know, when you're looking at people that are starting to have kidney disease and they're becoming dialysis patients, um, you're looking, you know, age groups between 50 and 80 is the age groups that you're starting to see this. The younger ages you don't see as much, um, and over 80 you don't see a lot of. Um, but currently, um, Northwest Kidney, did, let's see, well, last year they did 93 kidney transplants. They have 1,766 patients. 24% of them are on the transplant wait list. 15% are on some form of home dialysis. They did 276,500 dialysis treatments last year. Okay, now that, that brings me to a question. Do you have happen to have any numbers on like how many people are, you know, go into kidney, um, you know, severe kidney problems or how many go on to dialysis per year? You know, I, I, you know, I'm not sure, but I bet we, we could find that those, we can find that information. Um, this is just for the, this right here is just for the kind of the Northwest Seattle area. Right. This information. But if you're looking for national information, there's, uh, there, what is it? The National Kidney NK. I forget the last word, um, but you can go onto their website and they have national information and they can, you can look at a map and they show, you know, on a map, you know, dialysis patients and where they're concentrated at. And obviously they're concentrating around big cities because, um, you know, if you have kidney disease and you live out in the rural area, um, you're not going to be able to get the treatment you need. And, so you're either going to decide to not get treatment or you're going to decide to get closer in so you can't get treatment. Right, right. Um, the interesting thing is, is that 
with Northwest Kidney. So, you know, I just said that they had seven, over 1,700 patients last year. 47% of their patients are in poverty and are Medicaid patients. Really? 47%. So they're nonprofit, and um, I'm just one, I don't know this, and I don't mean to throw shade on anybody, but, you know, for the for-profit the for organizations, I wonder how many Medicaid patients that they have, or if they even take them. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't know. So the average patient age for Northwest Kidney, how old do you think it is? I'm going to say 40. Actually, it's 61. Oh, okay. It's a little little older, yeah. Um, I'll tell you a story. Uh, Sometimes I'd go down to the Auburn Kidney Center to dialyze um, because I was living in Pedroway at the time. I preferred going to the SeaTac Center because I knew all the employees there. I was there for a long time. Um, but moved down to, uh, to Fedway, went down to Auburn. There was a kid next to me. I say kid. I think he was 19. He was already out of high school. Oh, that's a kid. Yeah. And um, he was 19. He still lived with his parents. But he would... And this goes along with my story about Billy, too, I was telling you about last night. Yeah, he was eating fast food, taco, whatever. I shouldn't say names. Um, going to the fast food taco place, was going to the fast food, you know, sub sandwiches places, you know. And bring that into the kidney center. It's highly salted food. Um, and, what you know, he was being a kid. And um, he was... I sat next to him, so, you know, obviously there's not a lot of privacy when the doctors and the dietitians are coming to visit you. Um, you know, and they're telling them, hey, you know, you need to cut this stuff out. You're, it's causing issues, and you're not going to feel well, and you're not going to feel better if you keep eating like this. And, you know, he ended up dying. Hmm. You know, and it broke it. Kind of, he was a good-looking kid, you know. He had his whole future ahead of him. But, you know, just aren't we a stubborn people? <laughs> we really are. Or, or it'll never happen to me. I like that one, too. Yeah, yeah. That's one of my favorites. But um, last year, Northwest Kidney, let's see what they say here. They got over $3 million in donations. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, from community benefits and, and gifts. And I can say Northwest Kidney allowed me to go back to school and get into the medical field. Um, and I was able to do that through their scholarship program and also a scholarship that I received from an organization you and I belong to together. Um, so um, because of that, I was able to, you know, graduate and get my, be able to become a certified professional coder, um, as well as a, now I'm also a certified uh, valuation and valuation management auditor, and I also have a certified medical reimbursement specialist certification. So I've got three national certifications. That was because of donations. Um, made by the community for the kidney center 
Um, and like I said, whenever I, I donate to them or raise money for them, I always do it towards patient care, which goes toward the scholarship program and also goes to patient, patient care as far as like the chairs. It's nice to have a, a, a TV to watch and they were, they're partnered up with, um, with major, major companies here in the Northwest. One of them donates computers. You can probably guess who that is. They donate laptops um, for the patients to be able to use um, while they're on dialysis. And um, yeah, and, and Northwest Kidney keeps up the upkeep with this as well. They provide all the IT stuff that they need. And I mean, it's an amazing organization. I pray and hope that my words fall on fertile fields out there um, and people take care of themselves and, and double check their numbers and, and um, will take an active part in their health um, and then the hiring of their help <laughs> or the firing of their help. Um, be proactive about your care and um, don't just lay there and take it. Yeah, yeah. I do know what you mean. Yeah. Um, we're all human. All of us, including the doctors. And so, um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Oh, you know what? They have 19 centers. Don't trust any does. Three are coming soon. They've got one all the way out in Port Angeles um, on the other side of the water from us. And they have one up on Snoqualmie Ridge. Oh, they've got one in, oh, 20. They've got one up in Eden Claw now, too. Wow, they've been busy. And it just, it just makes me wonder, why do we need so much dialysis care? But we do. Yeah, let me know. Well, I am... Um... I, I just want to say I have learned so much talking to you here tonight. Um, and I would usually be us about everything else in the world. You know? We don't ever talk serious. <laughs> but we are out of time for tonight, sad to say. But I would love to have you back to talk a little bit more about the transplant itself. I, I know you had said during the break you wanted to touch on that, but I just don't want to rush that part of it. So if you're really well, it'll be twelve years this November. <laughs> I um yeah, if you're willing, I'd love to have you come back so we can talk a little bit more about that. I think that this is a subject that can touch a lot of people because I think everybody out there probably knows somebody who has been, you know, affected by this, if not themselves. Um, like I said, my father and it's interesting when when he actually passed technically you know he died of cancer but what actually took him was kidney failure yeah you know when um somebody goes to the hospital and they are um they're very very sick you know their system starts to shut down um and, you know, the kidneys will shut down on you while you're in the hospital. Now, if your condition 
say is not cancer related, like your like your dad, but we have a mutual friend that passed away, um, and it was due to was it a perforated? What was that, Bonnie? When John passed? I'm I'm trying to to think. Um, was it because he had a perforated? Uh, he, wasn't that for when he went in for the colonoscopy? Yeah, he had the colonoscopy and they perforated him. And he had a slow leak into the abdomen, which he went into. Basically, he go he went into a condition called sepsis, and um, which they could have fixed that. I believe they could have fixed that issue with him um, and got him on some antibiotics, fixed the issue, um, and could have got him back and up and out of the hospital, but. I just, I think in John's case, he was tired of fighting. Well, I know that John had had congestive heart failure for quite a few years before that. And gout. Yeah. You know, you know, but I have the same issues. I have congestive heart failure. I have gout issues. Um, I have, um, I have uh, sleep apnea and all that. Yeah, I've got it all. You know, give me a checklist, I'll tell you. <laughs> you know, so it's just, I think it has to do with, um, like I said, community support. I think it has to do with your personal beliefs in life and in the afterlife or whatever spiritual beliefs you have. And, um, you know, I've, I've got a good support system around me and within me. So, you know, I continue on each day. Sometimes it's more of a struggle than others. But, you know, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I think we will close this down and turn it back over to Greg. But just so you know, I do plan on having you back because I just I just think this is so important. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I, I really appreciate it. Out of all the subjects we could have talked about, <laughs> 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 we had to pick a serious one. <laughs> I'm glad to do it, though. I just want to let all of our listeners know, too, that um, I do plan on having Ron back at some point because, not only the kidney thing, but also because Ron is currently uh, having his biography written. And as you all know, I I love talking book. So (laughs) in a few months, we will probably have him back and be discussing that as well. So... And that particular topic, just based on what I know of Ron, is going to be much more fun, much more lighthearted, and you will probably laugh hysterically all the way through it, because I know I will. (laughs) Well, you've lived a lot of it with me, so... That's true, that is true. Let's (laughs) talk about the hallway mirror. We both know where the bodies are buried on both sides. Yes, that's true. Well, I don't want to to give away too much. I want people to buy the book. Exactly. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to turn this over to Greg. Ron, thank you so much for coming on. um, You're welcome. We will, I'm now turning this back over to Greg. Greg, it's all yours. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. This is G.E. Shaw, Mixer Radio tonight. And we just heard from Ronnie and Friends. And her good friend, Ron Waitman. 
And if you want to find any more information about him, just check out our website and go to that particular description page. You'll see a website designated for kidney transplants. This is G.E. Shaw. I'll be back in a few minutes. Hello, this is G.E. Shaw once again. If you've been thinking about learning right, how to get into a new that. career dealing with podcasting, online radio, streaming radio, all the different names out there, you ought to try out my friends at Anchor. That's www.anchor.fm. They, will, they give you the best of everything for podcasting, especially people who just started now. Unlimited free hosting, which means you don't pay for it. One-click distribution. And this one-click distribution gets you to all the major players out there. Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, every platform out there. Anchor does all the work. Monetization for podcasts, something new that Anchor has just bought on. If you want your listeners out there listening to you, and they love listening to you, have them make a donation. That's Anchor. And you can record from everywhere. Anchor. www.anchor.fm Check it out. You won't forget it. This is G.E. Shaw. Mix our radio. See you later. Are you an independent musician? How would you like to have your songs played on hundreds of radio stations just like the one you're listening to right now? Join MusicSubmit.com and we'll promote your music to radio stations and blogs in your genre. It's free to set up your account and we guarantee your music will be considered for airplay by radio stations worldwide. Why not sign up today? It's free. MusicSubmit.com. Radio promotion for indie musicians.